This morning's scripture reading will be taken taken from Titus chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. That's Titus chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, to show true humility toward all men. At one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of our righteous things we have done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. Good morning. We ask for God's blessing on the reading and the preaching of his word. I'd like to have you leave your Bibles open to the book of Titus. After that last song, this sermon is going to be simple. Appreciate Jason. One way that we can see the truthfulness of the Bible is that it never covers up the failings, the shortcomings, or the sins of God's people. It never suggests that his people are perfect. It never excuses what they do that is contrary to God's will. If anything, the Bible goes to the opposite extreme to show weaknesses and trespasses and sins without excuses. For example, there is Abraham, the father of the faithful. The example, the model of trusting, believing, obedience that God requires for everyone who wants to be right with him. A man the Bible calls the friend of God, but who on two separate occasions lied and passed his wife off as his sister so that he could save his own neck, even though it put her at great risk. And while that happened, and while the Bible records it, it's also the case that that is not the whole of Abraham's life. God made great promises to him and did great things in keeping them. And Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And then there is David, the shepherd boy, the killer of Goliath, the sweet singer of Israel, David who could not control himself who committed adultery, adultery that led to lies, that led to murder, to cover it up. That's David as well. And yet we understand that there was more to David's life. He was honest with God about his sin. He was quick to repent, quick to ask for forgiveness, willing to bear whatever punishment God put on him. 
And of him the Bible says that he was a man after God's own heart. The Bible tells the whole truth about Jesus' first disciples. Poor Philip and Andrew. They aren't mentioned a whole lot in the Gospels, but every time they are, they just seem to be about three steps behind everybody else. It just seems like they don't ever catch on to what Jesus is about. And then there's Thomas, who through the ages has been known as Doubting Thomas, who refused to believe that Jesus was raised from the dead unless he could put his hand in his side and, and in the prints and nail prints in his hands. And then there's Peter, who denied knowing Jesus, not once, not twice, but three times. And there's Judas, who betrayed him for 30 pieces of silver. The women followers of Jesus stayed at the cross, but his men apostles all ran away and hid, rather than staying with him in his hour of suffering. And yet all of these people loved God and tried to obey him and tried to serve him. But in their humanity, there were times that they failed and there were times that they sinned. Every Christian here this morning can truthfully say they are no different. We are not different than all of those people. The church today is no different. We have no claim to make that we are different. We love God. We want to serve him. We want to be the people he wants us to be. But we fail. We sin. We don't live up to God's expectations, even though we surely long to live up to them. And people who are not Christians and who figure that out or see it may point a finger and say, yep, church is full of hypocrites. You ever had anybody call you a hypocrite to your face when they found out that you were a Christian? Oh, Christians say they're perfect, although I've never met one that claimed that, but People that make this claim say, oh, Christians are hypocrites. They say they're perfect, but they're no different than everybody else. And there are people all around us who say that about us and about the church. Many believe the church is full of hypocrites. But people who believe that, to begin with, don't know us. Right? They don't know who we are. They don't know what kind of people we are. They don't even know our names. And second, they really don't know about our life as Christ's church. God knew that his people would always have a struggle with sin as they live the Christian life in this world. It was no surprise to him. It didn't catch him off guard when after the resurrection a disciple sinned. And so God provided a way for us to be the people he wants us to be, to become the people that he wants us to be, and to deal with the sin that's in our lives. And that's taught more than once in the New Testament. One of the great passages that teaches all this is in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 5 down through chapter 2 and, and verse 2. And another one of those places that tells us that God did that, tells us the truth about Christians, is in our passage this morning in Titus chapter 3, verses 1 through 8, where we're studying this morning. Paul is writing to one of his young co-workers named Titus, verse 1 and 2. Titus has been charged with strengthening the Christians on the island of Crete. 
Crete in the first century had a well-deserved reputation for being one wicked place. It was home to liars. It was home to every kind of immorality, even immorality as the ancients measured it. It was home to evil. It was a place that decent people didn't go if they could help it. But the truth is that God loved the people on Crete. And God sent the gospel to them. And amazingly, when they heard the gospel, some of them responded. Some of them came to faith and obeyed the gospel. But obeying the gospel and being saved were just the first steps. Those people on Crete had a long, long way to go before they overcame their sinful past and fully lived as God wanted them to live. So in chapter 1, Paul instructs Timothy on how to appoint leaders for the congregations on Crete who could nurture and protect and lead them. In chapter 2, he gives Titus some very specific instructions about behavior for young men and old men, for young women and old women, showing them how to live now that they are being educated by God's grace. And he concludes by telling Titus in chapter 3 that there is a job before him that is going to take a long time to accomplish. Titus can't go to Crete with one sermon. He can't go to Crete and hope to accomplish the work that needs to be done there with one sermon. It won't help Christians to do everything right. And so the instruction is that he is to tell them once and tell them twice. And for as long as he's in Crete, for as long as that is his work, he is to continue to teach certain things to the Christians on Crete. Things like Christians obey those who rule over them. Those that are in government, those who have authority, Christians live in obedience before. Christians are to be ready to do whatever is good. There's no qualification, there's no limit. Whatever is going on, and if there's a good cause, if there's a good work, Christians should be the ones in line to help or to do. Christians don't tell lies about each other. That struck a blow at the Cretan behavior, who thought lying was an art form. But Christians don't lie. Christians get along with other people. And Christians are considerate and humble. And uh, Titus was to take that message and he was to teach it over and over and over again to help the Christians there in Crete to learn how to be this kind of people. Well, Christians today, like the Christians in Crete, are not perfect. We're sorry to admit it. I'm not saying that as something to brag about. Sometimes we don't tell the truth. And sometimes we are not ready to do good. And we still struggle with sin. We hate it, but still the struggle is there. So we need, just as they need, a constant reminder of the kinds of things that God expects of us, the kinds of things that God wants us to do as we live the Christian life before him. We need a constant reminder and constant exhortations to live as Christ would have us. And God intends for us to have that help. 
And through His Word and through His Spirit and by brothers and sisters in Christ who like us are not perfect or just forgiven, we are strengthened and we are transformed as God helps us to grow in our Christian living. But then Paul gives a reason for why this is so. Look at verse 3 through the first part of verse 5. Before they became Christians, the Christians on Crete were one rough bunch of people. Christians are always people with a past. And the Christians on Crete did not have a very pretty past at that. They were foolish. They lacked understanding. They were disobedient to God. They disobeyed their parents. They disobeyed everyone in authority. They were people who lived a big lie. They were people who could never eat enough or drink enough or satisfy their physical desires enough. They were always looking for more and more pleasure. They were full of ill will. They were full of hate for themselves and for everybody else. I mean, you talk about raunchy, foul, disgusting, immoral people. And if you look at carefully at those verses, Paul includes everybody in that. Which is kind of a hard thing to take, isn't it? But that is what the Cretans once were. That's what they're striving, striving to overcome. And Titus is there to help them to overcome it. No wonder he needed to keep reminding and encouraging them to do better and to live as God wanted them to. But that was the goal. That was what they were striving to accomplish. Every Christian has a past. Every Christian has a struggle with sin and needs encouragement and reminders. And we need those reminders over and over and over again. And not one of us who are Christians are any different. Maybe your past is different than mine. Maybe the place where you struggle with sin is different than the place where I do, but we still have that struggle. We still have those temptations. We still fall to them. Another part of this truth is that the change to be a Christian, to be what God wants us to be, requires God's help. Requires God's help daily. None of us who are Christians found forgiveness and victory over sin on our own, did we? Raise your hand if you saved yourself. Oh, no hands. We understand, don't we? God sent us His very own Son, Jesus. And He died on the cross for our sins. He went to the cross. He took the punishment of our sins on Himself because God loves us. The cross shows us as nothing else can just how kind and merciful and gracious and loving God really is. If you ever doubt it, all you have to do is to look at the cross. It shows us that God loves us despite our sin and our rebellion. And it tells us that because He loves us, He has set out to save us. Every faithful Christian knows that we can never be good enough or do enough good to save ourselves, or to make God save us. The people of Crete couldn't do it back then, and we can't do it now. It is an understatement, but it is true that we truly need a Savior. I know we think we need air, and we need food, and we need shelter, and, 
and uh, we need Washington to win today, and, and all of those things we need. But the only thing that we really need is a Savior. And God has provided us that Savior and His Son. God saved us in our, by His mercy. When we were weak in our sins, God was merciful. When our sins made us enemies of God, God was merciful. When there was hostility between us and God because of our sins, He was merciful to us. We didn't deserve it. We didn't merit it. We didn't earn it. But God reached out to us in kindness and love and mercy and through His Son He saved us. So, yes, we have a past. Yes, Christians have a past. And we have a lot to overcome. But our salvation is not our doing. It's God's. And what is impossible for man, Jesus Himself says, is possible for God. For nothing is impossible with God. Jesus says that in Mark chapter 10 and verse 27. So when we make mistakes, when we do things wrong, when we sin, rather than being defeated or rather than accepting the world's judgment that we are hypocrites, we need to remember that God is not done with us yet. We aren't where we're getting. We're not where we're going to get. We're not yet the Christians that God wants us to be, but we're on the way. And by His help and by His mercy, we will get there. But just how has God saved us and how is it that He's working on us? Look at the second part of verse 5 down through verse 7. The Apostle Paul reminds Titus that God has done two things to save us and transform us. First, He saved us by the washing of rebirth. The people of Crete had heard the story of Jesus and the cross. They came to understand that Jesus had died for their sins. They put their faith in Him and His work on the cross. They repented of their old life. They turned away from it. They turned to God. They confessed their faith, and on that confession, they were immersed in water. And in that immersion, their old sinful life, life in the power of sin and death, died. And we need to understand that in the fullest, most real terms that we can. It died. God took away our old life and He gave us a new life in Christ. We were reborn. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, we are new creations. And if you've never done that, you can't imagine the joy of forgiveness. You can't imagine the joy of starting a new life or the joy of being right with God. But those of us who have done it, we know that joy. And we can live in that joy. But that's just the beginning of what God did for us. Second, he says, God gave each of us a gift. Gave us the gift of his spirit and the renewing work of the spirit. The Holy Spirit works within new Christians to keep their life clean, to help us to do God's will, to help us to please God, to help us to overcome sin. We don't fight the battle by ourselves. Isn't it interesting, as you read through the New Te Old Testament, over and over again you come to scenes where God's people are about to fight a battle, and the prophet or somebody comes along and says, the battle is not yours, it's God's. Well, you know what? That hasn't changed. Yes, we're there. Yes, we're in the battle. But it's really God's, and he helps us to fight it. 
Day by day, His Spirit renews us. Day by day, His Spirit transforms us. We, we are being transformed daily into the likeness of Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And when we sin, and we surely do, God forgives us. And His Spirit works within us to overcome it. So God looks at us and He sees our new life and He sees His Spirit at work. And because of Jesus' death for our sins, paying the penalty of our sins, God counts us as His own children. As His very own children. And those blessed with God's mercy and love and kindness and grace have the hope of eternal life. We hold on to the hope of a home in heaven with God. So Paul's final word to Titus, verse 8, the final instruction for his work with Christians on Crete, is Titus, these things that I've mentioned to you, they're listed in 3 through 7, are worth building a life on. They can help the Christians there to build a godly life. So stress them to the church over and over. Tell them these things. Don't give up telling these things over and over again. If you've trusted your life to God, if you've become a Christian, then continue to devote yourself to doing good, to living a good life, to living a Christian life. That's excellent, and that's profitable. Yeah, the church may appear to be nothing but a collection of hypocrites, but I hope every one of us knows that we're more than that. Yes, we sin, and sometimes we say and do things that are not right, but we know too, and God knows, and His forgiveness is there for us, and He keeps working on us, and He doesn't give up on us. He doesn't wash His hands of us. He doesn't throw us away. He helps us overcome our past. He helps us to overcome our sin. And at the same time, we keep working with Him to grow into the people He wants us to be. He forgives us and works to change us as He prepares us for heaven. The Apostle Paul, the writer of this letter, like everyone else, had a past. In fact, Paul had a terrible past, didn't he? There was a time when he persecuted the church, when he arrested people and drugged them off to prison, and saw to their execution. But then he met the risen living Jesus on the road to Damascus, and that changed his life. He believed, he obeyed, he was forgiven, even for the sins of persecuting the church and killing Christians. Now what do you think of a Christian who before he was a Christian killed other Christians? What do you think of somebody that, that persecuted the church? Well, Paul never forgot that he did those things. He never forgot the horror of what he had done to brothers and sisters. In fact, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, he names himself the chief of sinners. But God saved him. God saved him, not just for his own sake, but to show the whole world that Jesus can save sinners, even one like Paul. If God could save Paul, He could save those people on Crete. And He can save you. And He can save me. 
Every member of this church, imperfect as we are, as sinful as we are, because there aren't any of us that are beyond God's power to save. We come to times in our Christian life when we struggle with sin, times when we do so more than others. There are times and seasons when we're not as faithful as we ought to be or we know we should be. We come to times when it's difficult to be faithful to spiritual disciplines of prayer and Bible study and service and worship. But the fact that we're struggling and the fact that we're in this fight, that it seems harder than it should be, does not mean that we are bad Christians. It doesn't mean that we are failures as Christians. It means that we're being tested and tried. It means that Satan is having a go at us, that he's working on us, that he's trying to cause our fall. It means that we need to draw closer to the Father, not draw further away from him. That we need to get a grip on his hand and hold on even tighter. It means that we need to seek out the renewal and the refreshing and the strengthening that comes from prayer and Bible study and service and prayer and fellowship with the saints. It won't be long until we get to the part of the year where we have our fellowship dinners again. And you know, that's not just about eating food, as good as that may be. But it is about our relationship with each other. For in the company of the saints, we gain strength and we gain encouragement and we're loved. So we all need to be there. We all need to share in that. But I think what Paul would say to Titus and to the people on Crete and to us is don't give up. Don't get down on yourself. Don't get discouraged. Don't give up the fight. Don't run away. Because you see, it is not the perfect that are going to be rewarded in heaven. It's not. The people that are going to be rewarded in heaven are the faithful. Those that love Jesus and kept on keeping on. It is the faithful, the one who in faith overcomes, who will receive the crown of life. And Jesus himself promises that in Revelation 2 and verse 10. One of the greatest helps we have to become the Christian God wants us to be is our brothers and sisters in Christ. And the other great help we have is prayer. Prayer that we can offer for each other, prayer that we can offer for ourselves to seek God and to seek His help. So if you're here this morning and the battle isn't going the way it should be, if you're struggling, if you're feeling defeated, please don't, please don't go home that way. Come forward. Let your brothers and sisters know what's going on. Give us the privilege of praying with you. Let us link our arms with you and hold you up as you go through whatever it is you're going through. You're God's child and He simply calls you to be faithful. Will you do that while we come and sing?